1: from the Israelites. They saw a physical manifestation of God. They saw miracles. They were the miracle.
2: Join us now for Grace to the Bay as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through sound expository teaching by our teacher, Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio outreach of Grace Church of the Bay Area located in San Mateo. If you are blessed by Dr. Chen's message and are looking for a church home, you're invited to come worship with them. Now, here is Dr. Chen. Advantage number
1: four, supernatural provision. Verse three and the beginning of verse four, and all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. During their travels in the desert, God miraculously provided His people with food and water. Even those of you who have had opportunity to travel in or through or go camping in a desert, you know that perhaps more than any of your other road trips, you make sure you have enough food and water and gas and the car is tuned up because you don't want to get stuck there. And walk 20 miles to the nearest gas station if you run out of gas, where one car passes by every few hours. That might help you. No cell phone coverage. And so we understand, not to their degree, how miraculous it would be for 40 years to be provided food and water in the middle of a desert. Desert. There is the infamous manna from heaven that we can read about in Exodus 16. Exodus 17 is the first of two times that God provides water from a rock. This is the time that Moses strikes the rock because he was supposed to. The second time he struck it but was not supposed to. What he's talking about here was physical food and water that sustained their physical bodies. This is not some sort of uh, analogy here. They ate and drank. They lived for 40 years. This also refers to all physical provision. Their clothing was, did not wear out. Here Paul calls it spiritual food and drink simply to indicate the spiritual and miraculous way in which it was provided. The source was supernatural. The food was food. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 16. And we read about this, we're familiar with these passages, but I want you to listen and follow along in your Bibles as I read this with an ear toward the miraculous, the amazing, the supernatural. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will bring one who has traveled many miles, who is a baker. No, I will rain bread from heaven for you. I mean, if if we didn't tend toward the reverent, we would be laughing at this. Let me continue. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Remember, just one day's worth. Don't get greedy. That I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. And so you say, okay, this is miraculous, so, but it's just going to be like rain. It's just constantly rain. No, no, no. Verse 5, on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will, twice, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. Why? Because on the seventh day, it wasn't going to rain down bread. More m- miraculous. He can turn on the faucet of miracles and he can turn it off at his will. Jump down to verse 13. So it came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp. They're in the middle of nowhere. And wind blew in meat for them. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. Okay, that makes sense. But, verse 14, when the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. So just enough for your family. The sons of Israel did so. And get this. Some gathered much and some little. But when they measured it, it was an omer. They didn't all have little scales. They didn't have perfect measurements there. They were just gathering. They were eyeballing. And yet every time, it was exactly an omer per person. He who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. Miracle number three. Moses said to them, let no man leave any of it until morning. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul, and Moses was angry with them, miracle number four. They gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat, but when the sun grew hot, it would melt. Now on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one, when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, then he said to them, this is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning as Moses had ordered and it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it, miracle, I don't know, i am lost count. It's not just the shelf life of the manna is 24 hours. God was doing this. Verse 25, Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. And it came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. God is not just a big picture guy who does these big miracles. He's in the details. I mean, even in the Red Sea, you ever thought about it? I mean, We're not told in the scriptures, but even from a scientific point of view, I would imagine the fish never having seen a clear end to water, but only the shores of rock and sand. Why were the Israelites not crushed by sea life coming through the water and falling on them? Because God held them back. God worked in every one of those fish's instinctive brains, don't go through the water every little thing. There was no leak. The waters came back and flooded when he wanted to, to destroy the Egyptian armies. The manna, rain down, shelf life, doesn't come on the seventh day. All of these details. Clearly, this was miraculous, not only in the way that it was provided, but that each had exactly what they needed to be full, did not come on the Sabbath, so many more This explains why the psalmist in Psalm 78.25 refers to the manna as the bread of angels. We don't even need to go into the, the spring of fresh water from a rock. Clearly something of the Lord. God sustained His people physically through spiritual means throughout their lives. In the same way, God sustains us physically through spiritual means throughout our lives. Though the reality of things like Trader Joe's and Domino's delivery may make us less cognizant of God's clear provision than bread miraculously appearing on the ground, you know that God is still involved. God is still our sustainer. Though we buy our food through physical means, we work, we get a paycheck, we cash that check, we go to the store, we order delivery, it is still supernatural because God provides. Think about this last year, even in the midst of a pandemic, a pandemic we call it. This is bad, I agree, but I think we've lost sight of the reality of what the word pandemic means. As believers, many of us have followed the path of the world around us and that we have gained weight rather than starved. When I hear the word pandemic, at least a year ago I would have, I would think millions of people starving to death. And many of us in this room are putting our freshman year in college to shame by how much weight we've gained in the past year. And what I'm saying is that despite this, which is most likely being the, most, the biggest global problem you will ever experience in your lifetime, God has provided for you. Not to mention your clothes, your internet, your electricity. God has provided. Much has changed over the last year. But despite how much has changed regarding things like safety regulations, vaccines, and workplace norms. And to be clear, I don't mean that those things I've just listed are the change, but those things themselves has cha- have changed. Different tiers, different regulations, different understandings. Pump out the vaccine, pause the vaccine, it's dan- dangerous. Restart the vaccine, stop it again, restart it again. All these changes as people are discovering different things. All these changes just in the last year, and in this last year and forevermore, there are two unalterable constants that will always remain true, have remained true throughout this pandemic, and whenever we look back and whenever we still exist, will still remain true. First, nobody, and I mean, Nobody will ever understand why we all hoarded toilet paper. Number two, God provides. God sustains. God sustains His people. God even sustains the world. Physical provision, though not as dramatic as for the Israelites, but through spiritual means. And once again, despite this clear, miraculous provision, Israel grumbled. Israel complained. Israel turned from God. We need to be warned. We need to be careful. If a people in the middle of nowhere were provided for for 40 years with absolutely no other reasonable explanations for the food and water, Aside from God, could still grumble and turn, how much more of a temptation for us who have the reasonable explanations for our food and water, such as our jobs, our bank accounts, our friends providing. How much more can we grumble and turn, and how much more have we? They grumble and complained because they had to eat the same thing every day for 40 years. We grumble and complain because a DoorDash driver is five minutes late. Have you ever wondered why in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6 of Matthew, Jesus teaches His disciple the Lord's Prayer? The Lord's Prayer. We all know it. And in it, in verse 11, He instructs us to pray, Give us this day our daily bread. To pray, God, give us this day our daily bread, which speaks again not just of food but of all our physical needs. This day, daily bread. Indicating that this is to be our prayer every single day, no matter how many weeks worth of food is in your pantry, no matter how many outfits are in your closet. Yet moments later, in the same sermon, in the same breath, in the same chapter, Jesus tells us not to worry about what we will wear or what we will eat. Why? It's because that line in the Lord's Prayer, the model and foundation for all prayer, is to be an affirmation in our minds and our hearts of where all our provision comes from. God is our provider. You don't pray for our daily bread, like we pray for God to heal a relative of cancer, which we end with, "If it's your will, Lord, because we know it may not happen. Please, Lord. We pray for our daily bread knowing He will provide it in recognition of His character, in recognition of His supernatural provision today and every day. And that leads us to our fifth and final parallel advantage between Christians and Israel, sustaining provider. End of verse 4, For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. There was a Jewish, a rabbinic tradition that's not in Scripture that said that after Moses struck the rock at Rephidim in Exodus 17 and the water poured forth, this was at the beginning of their wandering in the wilderness, that that physical rock constantly pouring forth fresh water then followed them throughout their journeys over 40 years, constantly providing water. Now, as strange as that seems, you have to understand that throughout that wandering, 40 years, we have two instances in Scriptures of God miraculously providing water. Surely they drank water the other 40 years on a daily basis. He provided for them. But how? We, don't, we aren't told. This was the rabbinic answer to this issue that the physical rock just stayed with the group. To answer this question, I want you to remember back in Acts chapter 17. Paul is in Athens. He sees all the various statues and altars to false gods, idols. In fact, he sees so many that he is moved to preach the gospel. And we are given this amazing evangelistic sermon. The sermon at the Areopagus or Mars Hill same title, different language. The launching pad for this sermon is a reference to one of those idols that he saw that had the inscription, to an unknown God. He is using the statue of a pagan idol to start this great evangelistic sermon. And here's what's important about that. He is not affirming that that idol is real, that they should pray to that statue, he is saying, you know what, there is some truth to what is on that statue, but let me clarify you, for you who the true God is that is unknown to you, and then ditches the idol. In 1 Corinthians, he is not affirming that the rabbinic teaching of a physical rock following them through the desert is real. He's saying, yes. There's some truth to this tradition, but it wasn't a physical rock. And like in Acts 17, then ditches the tradition and says the rock was a person. It wasn't a literal rock. It was figurative. And that rock was Christ. What is the role of the second person of the Trinity in the Old Testament? Well, here's one. Jesus Christ was with them the whole time. And in fact, and this is so cool, the word "rock" that Paul uses here in First Corinthians ten four does not refer to a boulder or a large stone like the one that Moses struck, like the one the Rabbi said followed Israel. It is a different word that refers to a massive cliff. Think Half Dome in Yosemite. Think God. Is our rock. In other words, it wasn't a physical rock that followed them, it was a spiritual rock. It was Jesus Christ. He was their sustaining provider. The word rock is a familiar title to us for God. It's used in the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32 multiple times. Psalm 1914 is where we get that song, that line from the song, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What Paul is emphasizing is God's faithfulness to His people that does not change regardless of who those people happen to be. It underscores His unchanging nature despite the unreliable and erratic nature of His people regardless of who those people are. And specifically, it stresses the continuity between Israel and the church who, despite God's provision, are prone to idolatry of some sort. He sustains you. He provides for you. Are you aware of that? Do you see that? When you thank God for your meal, is that just rote? Is that just something you do, like setting the table? We gotta wash our hands. We gotta set the table. We got the food on the table. We gotta pray, and then we eat. Just something you do to teach your kids, or is it a recognition that God is your provider? We stop there, but if you look on in the passage, you see doom and destruction. And literally, in verse 5, bodies strewn across the wilderness. It's a warning, not just of their failings, but of the consequences. Sometimes you read that and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This can't be right. God killed them all? There were two? Two? Joshua and Caleb entered. Moses didn't even enter. Aaron didn't even enter. He killed them all. Yes, that's the warning. Still God's chosen people. And yet because of their idolatry, because of their grumbling, because of their disobedience, He didn't let any of them into the promised land. We'll unpack this more in coming weeks. Again, this is not talking about loss of salvation, but the warning is clear. Five parallel advantages between Christians and Israel. Spiritual progeny, steadfast presence, salvific protector, supernatural provision, and sustaining provider. My friends, today, right now, you as a Christian have the same privileges of those Israelites. So much so that like them, we have gotten perhaps a little too comfortable, comfortable with our cushy lives, Comfortable with how we approach a holy God. Comfortable with disregarding our comfort and then complaining that we want more and we don't have enough. And yet you have more than you need. Way more than you need. Way, way more than you deserve. You're you're right. You're right. I have more than I need, more than more than I, I deserve. We, we just have one kid. We should not be bummed that we can't get pregnant again. That one kid is more than you need and you deserve. That spouse is more than you need and you deserve. You need God. You need to be with Him. So those three breaths of air that sustained your life that you took in the last five seconds is more than you need and definitely more than you deserve. I was approached by a friend who was for a short time missionary with me when I was a missionary in Albania. He's now a missionary in Bulgaria. And he asked me if he, I can uh, log in late Thursday night, Friday morning for his uh, Bulgarian businessman's Bible study because they're going through some stuff. They like to complain. And they said, I, I want someone. We're going to take a break from our, our thing on James and maybe have a guest speaker to talk on how to biblically handle trials. Trials, and so I started scrambling through and like, what would I say? Because I just, I just is. Obviously, he doesn't want me to just say, well, just be godly, right? Just try to do your best. And I thought of one thing that has sustained my wife and I through all of it. And I've said this before, I I am no, I I in no way think that we've had it worse. I know many people who have it worse than us, kids who who are much sicker than our kid, Kids who have died younger than our sick child. People who have lost babies after they've gone full term. But regardless, what I've just shared with you is one of the main ways that we are able to have, by God's grace, the focus that we have is that we recognize we don't deserve it. (laughs) When have I ever been promised a healthy kid? Any kid's. I don't deserve to go through, experience a full-term pregnancy. We didn't even deserve those 22 weeks. We didn't deserve that first ultrasound. We didn't deserve day one of saying we're pregnant again. We don't deserve it. Are we sad? Of course. Does that affect us? Of course. But when we start saying... Yes, God, You're present. Yes, God, You provide. Yes, God, You save. But you know what? If I could only get this. I just need this. I just want more. You've missed the whole point. You think you deserve what you don't deserve. Because what you deserve, my friends, what I deserve is hell. Period. Not hell and happiness. Not hell and family. Not hell and a mortgage. Hell. Hell. Everything else is grace. Everything else is grace. We have to learn from the Israelites. They saw a physical manifestation of God. They saw miracles. They were the miracle. They walked through it. He didn't just stop Pharaoh and there was a dry path there and say, I'm going to part these seas just for Pharaoh to see. He parted them to deliver Israel so they could walk through it. They were part of the miracle, and yet they still said, we want more. Better food. More food. Grumble, grumble, grumble. we got to be careful, friends. Learn from Israel.
2: This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. For the next part in this series, join us next week at this same time. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You are invited to join them for worship services in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit gracebayarea.org for service times, directions, live streamed services, listen to archived sermons, or to make a tax-deductible donation to help keep Grace to the Bay on the air so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you
1: each week. Again, that's gracebayarea.org.